One order of clarification, um, while my luncheon, my goodbye luncheon is on March the 20th, I'm actually not leaving until April the 25th. It reminds me of uh, pastors who say when they leave a church and they announce they will be leaving at a certain time, after a couple of weeks, people are now saying to them, are you still here? <laughs> well, I'm still here till April the 25th, so um, uh, I'm not leaving on the 30th of March. Also, I uh, want to share that after uh, Joe Eberly gave our announcement about the Habijacks build and put on his hard hat, I made the announcement that it reminded me of Annie Dillard's comment that we are crazy to wear sport coats and dresses to to church, that if we had any sense, we'd dress up in flak jackets and hard hats because what do we really know that may break out here? And just as soon as I had said that, it all broke out. Well, in fact, I began the worship service, unfortunately, by picking up last week's bulletin and saying the call to worship that was last week. So the congregation sat there, uh, and then Emily reached over and grabbed me the right, uh, gave me the right one. And as I was in my sermon, seeing in the dark, we had a power failure and all the lights went out. Well, before that, actually, I stepped up to preach my sermon, and I usually put my sermon in this little black thing as I'm standing on the floor or wherever. And as I looked down to preach it, I noticed that that, too, was last week's sermon. I left this week's sermon sitting on my desk. Where is the hard hat? Today, I walk up into the chancel after the singing, and Mary Spooler comes to whisper in my ear that there is a chameleon running loose in the chancel, and we cannot catch it. (laughs) Now, that definition could just as easily be true for any one of us who preach the word. For we, too, are chameleons, changing color according to whatever the situation requires. Yet... You cannot catch us. Why? Because the wind of God that blows our way blows us according to the will of God, not our own. With that understanding, please hear now the word from John. By the way, before I read John, it reminds me of that dreadful um, party I went to, one of those Halloween costume parties many years back when it was arranged that we would all dress up uh, and everyone knew was in on the secret that uh, a woman whose husband had gone to Europe who would be at the party didn't know that her husband had come home early and would also be at the party dressed up too. He was in a Darth Vader outfit. And so while at the party we all knew but her and we're all watching him shadow her all the way around the room. He'd walk up and start breathing heavily like Darth Vader, and she'd look over at him. Who is this man? Finally, he bumped into her at their buffet line, almost knocking her down. She almost turned around to punch him, and she noticed everyone was watching her at that point, and then she got it. She pulls up his mask, and it's her husband, and it was, ah, all the crazy stuff. And the point of that is that we were all in on the secret, what's underneath the mask, except the wife. When John wrote his gospel, 
he assumes that we too are all in on the secret what's underneath the words that John uses. Because John likes to use words like bread and wine and light and dark and sheep, never intending them to be what's on face value, but what's underneath it. That is to say, what is the symbolic meaning of it? What is the poetic or metaphorical meaning? And this text today is no example, uh, uh, no exception. Here now, selected verses from the third chapter. It's a chapter that's beloved by all of us. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. For the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? And in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. So there was this Pharisee named Nicodemus. I wonder how old this water is. You think I ought to risk it? No chameleon. This Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a leader of the Jews. And as I read this story again in John, I saw it again for the first time, or anew for the first time. Nicodemus, this Pharisee, was just a good Presbyterian. In many ways, just like us, he was a keeper of the law. There's no surprise we have a lot of attorneys and lawyers in the Presbyterian church because Calvin was one. He grew up from the bottom up. He wasn't born into aristocracy or the elite, which is true for most of us. He was unlike the Sadducees in that sense, who were born in aristocracy. But for the Pharisee, he had a concern to be connected to all the people. He wanted all the people to have access to the word, to the law, the Torah. And so the law was the way to do that. In many ways, just like a Presbyterian, the Pharisees understood that there were things that we needed to do, ways to live, to follow Christ, 
to obey Christ, to do uh, justice ministry in the world, to go to habitat bills, uh, all the things that we as Presbyterians know that we must do. He was a good Pharisee, a good Presbyterian. It struck me that he was a lot like me. And a lot like us in the sense that after all of this that he had and all of this that he had achieved, he still lacked something and he wasn't sure what. And so he heard about Jesus and decided to go to him at night. The text says he went to him at night. And some people will say he went at night because being a Pharisee, uh, he didn't want to be seen mixing with this uh, irreverent person, Jesus. He was thought to be a radical He didn't want to be seen doing that. Well, in fact, St. Paul was a Pharisee, by the way, and some people say Jesus was too. But this Pharisee named Nicodemus, some people say, was reluctant to go, so he went at night. That's not why. The reason he went at night was because John wants us to understand he's in the dark. He's living in the dark. No matter how enlightened he is or how much education, he is stuck in the darkness. And the darkness that he is stuck in is, are, are the questions, uh, those, those unanswered questions that all of us have. What is truth? What is the meaning of life? Am I loved? Am I lovable? Does my life make any difference? Where do we find what we're looking for. And out of that darkness, Nicodemus makes his way to Jesus and confronts him, hoping against hope, maybe Jesus is the one I'm looking for. Are you, he asked, the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? We have seen your signs and wonders, and we want to know, are you the one? Of course, Nicodemus is there looking for signs and wonders, that's how you learn what to do next. You get a sign. It's, it's something that you have. It's something that, that, that after having it, you then act on. It, it, we're all looking for signs. And Jesus says to him, Very truly, I tell you, you must be born from above to receive the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought he said born again. How can anyone be born again after being in your mother's womb once? How can you be born again? And Jesus corrects him and says, you must be born from above. Don't you find it ironic that so much energy has been put together over this one sort of confessional thing that we're supposed to do? How many times have you been asked, by the way, have you been born again? The irony is that that's following the mistranslation of Nicodemus rather than the word of Jesus. Because the actual Greek is born from above. I remember having lunch with Charlie Kowser of the great Presbyterian Kowser's family, a professor at seminary, not the Jacksonville Charlie, I guess he's his nephew of some sort or cousin. Uh, Charlie was a great New Testament professor uh, in Columbia Seminary, teacher of Greek, 
And we were having lunch, and some man walked up to us with one of those tracks, you know, one of those have you been saved tracks, and handed it to us, and then looked us in the eye and said, Have you been born again? And Charlie very gently said, Genethane Anothan. And the man thought he was a foreigner of some sort, and I had enough sense to know what he was talking about. And, and the man sort of shook his head, and Charlie says, Genethane Anothane. It's the Greek words you were quoting in John 3.3, 3, and it actually means being born from above, not born again. And by the way, I have been born from above. I am being born from above every single day. God bless you, Charlie said, and we walked on. And I was like, yes! <laughs> We're all in the dark. We're all on a journey being born from above. I remember going to seminary. I knew about as much of why I was there as the man in the moon. I just felt called. And I, I couldn't really tell you where all the Gospels were located, much less what was in them. I really wasn't that bad. That's a little hyper, but you get the drift. And, and I go to seminary seven years after I had graduated from college, not the most splendid college career ever. Uh, and so when I'm in seminary, the first thing we have to do is four, excuse me, eight weeks of Greek school. I counted them 40 days in the wilderness of Greek school. And I had to learn English as I was learning Greek. In fact, when the professor said, tomorrow we're going to look at participial phrases, I had to go home and look up what a participial phrase was. But there was one guy in our class named Bill who had gone to Davidson. Davidson is Mecca at Union Seminary, and while there, he decided he wanted to become a minister, so he majored in religion and took four years of Greek. But he was in school because it's a rite of passage. Everybody has to be there. And he sat there the whole time reading the Christian Science Monitor, looking down his long, overeducated Greek nose at us all, peons, struggling to figure out how to do this Greek. He didn't seem in the dark at all. But as we went through seminary, he found his own darkness to go with it. Because you see, one of the jobs of seminary is to be that sort of theological boot camp where we all go in with our own ideas of who God is and what the Bible says and what it means, and they rip the rug out from under you and leave you in free fall only to have to rebuild it. They want you in the darkness because, you see, it is only in the darkness that we start to see. And it's a lifelong process. Nicodemus had heard about Jesus, and he went seeking that one ingredient that would make the recipe of life a feast, a feast greater than all his imagination. And Jesus said, you must be born from above. What do you mean? By spirit and water, Jesus says. And the difference between being born again and being born from above 
makes all the difference in the world of how we understand this. Because you see, when you're born again, it's really about something we do. I have chosen Jesus. I have chosen to be born again. I give myself over to God. I submit myself. I surrender myself. It's all about me. I have been born again. But when you're born from above, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It's about the gift and the power of God that comes to us from someplace outside of us and regenerates us into whatever it is that God wants us to become, a butterfly. The difference is about who is doing it. And Jesus is reminding Nicodemus, it's a gift from God. It's not gotten, it's given from wind. And it comes like the wind, and you don't know where it comes from, and then it blows, and you don't know where it goes. It just shows up. All the difference. And then the story ends with these words. How many times have you seen these at a baseball game or a track meet? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came into the world not to condemn the world, but to love the world. All the difference. For what it tells us is that God has acted, not us. That God is the subject of the sentence, not us. That faith comes to us like grace, freely given, given out totally and completely to us, and all we have to do is just give ourselves back to it. It's all we have to do. When Maya Angelou was young, she tells this story in her little book, I Wouldn't Take Nothing for My Journey Now. She tells of being one of those young, 25-ish, smart kids who really didn't believe much in God. She was pretty much agnostic. And um, not because she didn't so much believe in God, but she just didn't see God much in her neighborhood. And she's invited by a voice teacher to read some lessons uh, for him as she's working on her voice. One day, the teacher, Frederick Wilkerson, asked her to read one particular passage in a book he gave her And uh, as she says, being erudite and very wordly, she lifted herself up and read the words with the ending in the section, God loves me. She closed the book. The teacher said, read it again. And so she sarcastically read it again. God loves me. Read it again, he said. And about the seventh time she read it, She began to sense that there was a possibility that God actually did love her. And suddenly she began to cry with the grandness of it all. I knew that if God loved me, then I could do wonderful things. I could try great things, learn anything, achieve anything. The knowledge humbled me. 
melts my bones, closes my ears, and makes my teeth rock loosely in their gums. And it also liberates me. I am a big bird winging over high mountains down into serene valleys. I am ripples of waves on silver seas. I am a spring leaf trembling in anticipation. God loves me. And at the deepest part of ourselves, it is what we all most desperately seek to know. That I am accepted and acceptable. That there is nothing I have to do, nada. It is unconditionally and freely given. God has done it all. And you know what? How we come to understand makes all the difference between night and day. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God proclaimed, for the word of God made flesh, we give thanks. And we respond to that free gift of love and grace with our tithes and our offerings. 